0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Books Fights, Booze, The podcast. If you're new here, I'm Madison. Hey, everybody. My name's Alexis. We have a lot to dive into this yeah, episode, we do Alexis. Can I just say that I'm like recording from my bed with a cocktail eating a sub? <laughs> and, and it's it's I, I really think I like this new spot.
1: I love it. I'm a fan. Usually
0: I'm like sitting in my office with like all my stuff set up, all like put together. I'm just not feeling it tonight. So <laughs> this is where I'm recording from.
1: <laughs> um, I would just like to say that I just rolled out of bed from a nap. Um, and Madison is a gracious human being who was just like, yeah, go take your nap and then we'll record. So we're really just like getting it done today.
0: <laughs> we're we're really refueled right now for this episode. <laughs>
1: Uh, so how has your week been give me the updates any new things with you not really no
0: what about you what's new in your life
1: well i've had some dietary changes since we are books bites and booze um i am now gluten free crazy wow i know um i went to my doctor And I was just talking about like, you know, my digestive system and stuff like that, all fun things. And she was like, you know, it kind of sounds like you have a gluten allergy. And I was like, you know what? I've never thought of that, but you may be right. So we cut out gluten from my diet for two weeks and it made such a difference, which like, just as a disclaimer, it's like very much so if you're not intolerant, it may not be the best thing for you to go gluten free. But my body was like getting really irritated and all this stuff. So she was like, let's take you off of gluten. And I already have an autoimmune disease anyway. So she was like, let's not irritate your body any further. And now I feel so much better. So I will be providing gluten free recipes from now on.
0: That is so great. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I really love that. Yes. So we have a lot to cover in this episode. We have our wrap-up discussion on Too Good to Be True, which, spoiler alert, our freaking predictions were way off, way, way, way not even yeah. close, <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun, and we also have a interview with the author, Carola Lovering, and um, yeah, I'm really excited for that, too
1: loved loved talking to her she was so much fun to have on the podcast and she just felt so easy to talk to like before we were on the interview she was just so gracious and like i just feel like we connected with her she was so sweet
0: yeah i agree it was a really good interview uh we talk about her writing style a little bit and we really got some good behind the scenes um information about too good to be true that will be at the end of this episode So, before we get into our drink recipes, we do want to let you guys know that we have a giveaway going on on our Instagram account. You win a book from me, a book from Alexis, and a $50 Amazon gift card. All you have to do is send us a DM on Instagram of a screenshot of you subscribed to the podcast. And make sure you're following us, of course
1: exactly we know that our audience is growing we have so many people that are tuning in each week for the podcast whenever they launch our instagram community is growing but we just really want to get that
0: thousand followers can you believe that
1: no i am astounded i'm so excited about it thank you guys so much for listening and just being a part of it
0: literally like the bookstagram is barely a year old like I think I started it May quarantine so May last year started the podcast in January
1: yeah so I know- we're already
0: six months in and yeah it's just kind of growing and we really enjoy doing it whenever you know we fit in the time
1: Yes, I love coming home after a long week and being like, all right, let's read. <laughs> like, that's I just know. the best it feeling. It
0: really is, yeah.
1: yeah. Is. Uh, me and Tim have gotten in this routine where like, he'll sit at his gamer chair and he'll be playing video games and then I'll sit in his chair beside him and just read a book. <laughs> and we're both doing our stationary activities and we're just like hanging out together but doing our own things. <laughs> like an old married couple. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, anyways, we can totally jump into the cocktails now. Madison, what are you drinking today? Okay, so, actually, what I'm
0: drinking and the recipe I'm giving y'all are not the same thing. Mostly because I don't have a margarita machine at my house like my mom does. But, I mean, I can really, you can really make this drink with, like, a blender or anything like that. Um, I am giving the best freaking bushwhacker drink recipe ever. Bushwhacker, mudslide, whatever you call it. It's the same thing pretty much. It is um, two scoops of vanilla ice cream, two shots of Kahlua, two shots of like bushwhacker cream. There's all kinds of different brands, but like some kind of like bushwhacker mix. We you I use like the coconut flavor. Um you can't really taste the coconut in the bushwhackers, but that's just what I use. So two shots of that two shots of spiced rum i use captain morgan two shots of amaretto two shots of like an irish cream liqueur there we go so like kind <laughs> of like, like bailey's or we i don't use bailey's but i can't remember the name of it that i use but like the light irish cream yeah um and then put it in a blender with some ice. Also, if you want it to be a little thicker, add more vanilla ice cream. I usually do like two. The recipe calls for two scoops. I usually do like two and a half because I like kind of a thicker, creamy bushwhacker. And then I just line my glass in chocolate syrup, and then pour it on top. I and love it has those. like a lot of alcohol in it. You. Might not think it does, but it really does. So the easiest way to remember is just everything you put a shot of. It's just two shots of everything. So
1: yeah, I absolutely love the most barbecue uh, bushwhackers. Like there is nothing better.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. Around I the pool right now during the summer, they're like the yeah. best
1: thing. We make them all the time. I love mine to taste and like have the consistency of ice cream. Like that is just, that is the best kind of bushwhacker. So what are you drink him? I am drinking a strawberry mojito, and I am also a liar. I'm not actually drinking it right now, but I had it at a restaurant this week, and it was absolutely amazing, so I had to share it, but it is a strawberry mojito, so they just took a mint simple syrup, so it just had that little, like, refreshing taste with it, and then they put... The Mint Simple Syrup, Lime Wedges, and Fresh Strawberries at the bottom of the glass. Then they kind of like stirred it together and mushed it a little bit. And then they put two shots of, I think it was Malibu, but really just whichever rum that you prefer. And then you fill to the uh, top of it with... So, club soda and then they put little cute mint leaves and a strawberry and a lime on the cup so it was all pretty but it was so good I had like two or three of them because it was absolutely delicious
0: oh my god that does sound so good I love mojitos I haven't had one in a really long time though
1: I just love having them in the summer like mojitos and bushwhackers and margaritas literally anything iced like I just mmm
0: Now we're going to jump into our discussion on Too
1: Good To Be True. Yeah, as we said
0: earlier, our predictions about the ending were completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We were not on track with that at all. But honestly, I was not mad about it. No, and like, actually, Alexis, I think you did say something in the first episode about I don't think Burke sent the email.
1: Yes, I got that part right. It was everything after. (laughs) I thought that maybe... Like someone had sent the emails, like found them on his desktop. Like I thought that he had still written the letters. I didn't guess that Heather had come in and completely written them herself.
0: So where we left off is Sky had just found, Andy had just told Sky about the letters, right?
1: Yes, Andy had just told Sky about the letters. And uh, she was like having that breakdown and like shut him off and wasn't talking to him. She wakes a couple weeks and then she slowly starts telling like her dad, her dad gets the lawyer involved, like she starts putting these pieces together. After that, she ends up reaching out to Heather, which that's a little bit further into the second half. But like, she slowly starts reaching out to all these people. He, she sees Burke again. So she starts like meeting everybody, getting their side of the story, trying to figure out what's going on, because Burke left her that post-it note in her apartment that was right. like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. still love you. and said something like that. And so she was like, why would he take the time to write this if he was just conning me? You know, so she kind of launched this whole thing of trying to figure out what exactly was going on.
0: Okay, so, like, I'm curious, how do you feel about Burke? When it's all said and done with, like, how did you feel about Burke?
1: I I liked him as a character. I really liked how he, like, had all these things happen to him. But at his core, he still was, like, a good person, sort of. I mean, I say that, but then he, like, conned this girl. But I really think that Heather... By the end of it, kind of pushed
0: him into it.
1: Yeah, like by the end of the book, you see how Heather was kind of that driving force for all the bad things that was happening. Yeah. Now, I mean, granted, Burke is the one who went to jail and did all of that, but I mean, Heather set him up for it. So I think, like, how Heather got him fired and all of that. Yeah. That was just crazy. I think that... That was
0: crazy, yeah. I mean, I think... I I feel the same way. I was going, like, back and forth. Like, part of me was, like, "Sky, just dump his ass. Like, let him get what he deserves, you know, and just let it go. But then the other part of me, like, obviously, he had good intentions behind doing a bad thing. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, I feel like every... Freaking criminal or con man or whoever always says, like, Well, I have good intentions. I'm doing it for my fan. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know.
1: No, I agree. Cause I don't know if necessarily Sky should have gotten back together with him, but I mean, I kind of liked that she did because, you know, it's not like that in reality. Like, you know, people make their own decisions. So I kind of liked that they got back together. But at the same time, I was like, mm, Like, he did kind of con you out of money. Right. <laughs>
0: like- yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about is heather yes (laughs) of course so obviously we said that she's like the mastermind behind the whole thing but it's crazy because the whole first half of the book i was like pulling for heather
1: yes she was the underdog when
0: the podcast like part one of our podcast i was really like rooting for her almost and kind of felt like a I really, I don't know. I just felt bad for her. her hu- you know, we think that her husband's cheating on her and she lost her little brother. I felt for her. But then this whole second half, my, I just, I changed my mind on the whole feeling.
1: I know. Carola did such a good job. She drew us in. She had us rooting for the underdog. And then all of a sudden, like, bam, Heather's the villain. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that that was like definitely a turning point for sure
1: but then I say villain, I actually still really liked her character. Like I thought I thought that all of the things that were making Heather do crazy things were all reasonable, like situation, like I would be livid if I thought that someone murdered my little brother, you know, like I would want to have millions of dollars if I grew up dirt poor, like, you know, I totally understood her ambition for things. But it was so hard to just watch her like manipulate every situation and like let that define her and become this like self-absorbed, terrible person.
0: <laughs> One thing that rubbed me the wrong way about her is when she talked about how all she really wanted was for Burke to work his ass off and her to get to sit at home and spend the money. Yeah, like, good for you. (laughs) And, yeah, like, because when you see her in the first half, she's obviously a teenager. She's working her ass off. You know, she wants to be successful. She wants to make it. And I almost feel like if she never would have stopped doing that, she didn't have to depend on Burke. Yeah. You know, like, that was one thing that I didn't like about Heather is she was so dependent on Burke. She can blame Burke for their situation, okay? Like, yeah, he got into some trouble and went to jail and, you know, lost his job, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that should have been when she realized, I don't have to depend on this man. You know, I gotta go out and make it work for my children, and she didn't.
1: Which, like, if you know, if someone's a housewife, like that's their choice. And if that's the agreement that you and your husband, like, that's what you want. Like, that's what you want. And that's totally fine. Heather did not do that with Burke. Heather had her idea of what she wanted for her family. And she molded Burke into this person that she wanted him to be like, he didn't have any ambition. Right. He wasn't
0: aware and- that she yeah. wanted to be a stay at home. mom. Exactly.
1: Like he didn't want to go into finance. Originally, she pushed him to do it. Like she pushed him to move with her and she pushed him to take these jobs and push him forward and put so much pressure on him to do what she wanted and give her the lifestyle she wanted so that she didn't have to do anything for it and so it was just like and then when burke messed up and went to jail it was his fault and like she didn't have a backup plan because she put everything on him
0: i do think another part of burke is that he was under like Tremendous pressure. I mean, yeah. he was under pressure when he was, you know, in school. Like he just always had this pressure on him, whether that was from Heather or, you know, Sky or, you know, whoever else it w- it was from. Like I just felt like he was constantly under a lot of pressure to be successful, to give Heather and his kids everything that they wanted. He, uh, to me, what I could see, he was carrying most of the weight in the family and in the relationship.
1: Yeah, for sure. Final verdict I do really like the character development in both Burke and Heather. Do I like them as people and do I like the way that everything ended up? I don't know.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Then that leaves the last person to talk
1: about Ska. Yes. The main, main lady. I think that she has a much purer heart than most people. I think that it was huge of her to forgive and move on. Let Heather keep the money, take Burke back, drop the charges. You know, like that's not something that just anyone can do. Do I think that she should have stood up for herself a little bit more? Absolutely. (laughs) I think that she could have handled certain situations differently absolutely but at the end of the day like she did end up happy like she had never felt the way that she did when she was with burke so i am kind of happy that they ended together for that reason
0: so like if you had to pick somebody to play Ska in a movie or in a tv series who would you cast
1: okay i've been thinking about this and (laughs) i have like i have a clear picture for burke and heather like those two I've got. Um, okay, for, give me those
0: then, and then we'll okay. loop back around. So
1: for Burke, I can see like a John Hamm, like the guy from Mad Men, like the mm-hmm. whole like businessy type, but like bad boy, you know, like that kind of thing. So I see him I as agree. Burke, and then for Heather, I could totally see Reese Witherspoon, like hundred oh. percent. Like she's got that kind of like. She can pass as, like, a high society kind of gal, but she can also do the, like, rugged, like, she's been through a lot. I think that she could portray the different sides of Heather. Okay, yeah, I like that. So, for Sky, I just, I don't know. I was thinking, like, a Blake Lively, almost, because Blake does really well with playing characters like Adeline who are a little like age of Adeline, a little more soft spoken, but then she can also play someone in high society like Serena Vanderwoodson, you know? So I think that she could do really well with sky. Cause that's kind of like a combination of the two. So I don't know. Yeah. What so for
0: sky for me, I don't know why, but I see like Amanda Seyfried Rob. Right?
1: Ooh, um, I like that. I can totally
0: see that. Yeah. How do you Amanda pronounce S- her last name? I Seyfried Seyfried Seyfried, I don't know Seyfried Seyfried I don't don't really remember (laughs) but I don't know why that is like who I picture because in I don't know I guess I remember her from like Dear John and she's like you know I I don't know just a petite blonde that I picture Scott as I guess
1: yeah she has that very elegant vibe about her another one was Jennifer Lawrence oh
0: I like that one I could see a little Jennifer Lawrence because I think she could play like the the scenes where Skye's like pretty freaking tough, you know, and like, yeah,
1: Yeah. I think she would thrive in the scene where Skye goes to meet Heather and she has to like stay tough. And like she goes to meet Burke, like after she's found out everything, she would kill those scenes.
0: I agree. Yeah. Okay, those are good. I like those. I think we have a pretty good cast there.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's our movie, Too Good to Be True. Thank you for coming. Um,
0: Okay, so give us your rating, Alexis. Overall, out of five stars, give us your rating and your thoughts. Go.
1: Okay, I loved it. Like This is my favorite book that we've read so far. I looked forward to reading it every time I wasn't. um, I actually did the audio book, you know, so I, every time I got in the car, that's what I listened to. Like it got to the point where I stopped listening to music for like two weeks because I was just listening to the book. Um, I think I'm going to have to give it a four out of five. Like I really liked maybe even a 4.5 out of five. If we can even do that. Like it wasn't perfect. You're
0: allowed a 4.5.
1: Okay. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of five.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: I really, really liked it.
0: So Mm -hmm. for me, I'm gonna give it a three out of five.
1: Ooh! The only
0: reason, I mean, I do, I did really like it. For me, it just took a little long to get to the punchline.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel like it was
0: it. Not that it was difficult to follow, but I just feel like the first half is. A, like it's it's kind of like it's own book in a way. like I just feel like the first half was so different from the second. I don't know. it was just the beginning was a little slow moving for me. I did love the twist though. I really loved all the characters like we said where it you know she does like pull you in and then just drops a bomb. yeah
1: so I, sure. I do
0: really like that a lot and it is I mean it, it's a really good thriller. Just a little slow moving for me and I don't know. I just wanted a little more out of it a little bit. However, I'm not disappointed in it at all. I definitely think that it's worth the read and I'm really curious about what everybody else's thoughts are on it.
1: Yes, I'm excited to hear everybody's comments or read everybody's comments and hear feedback. I just loved it. I hope you guys enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now let's head over to our interview with Carla and kind of get some behind the scenes um, information from her. Carla, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so excited to pick your brain a little bit and get to learn a little bit more about Too Good to Be True.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So to kick us
0: off, um, just tell us a little more about you, where you're from, and just a short little bio.
2: Sure. So I am originally from Bedford, New York, which is an hour outside New York City. Um, I lived in New York city for a while after college. I also lived in Colorado. I went to college in Colorado. Um, and I now live back on the East coast in Connecticut with my husband and 11 month, almost 11 month old son. Um, yeah. And I'm working. So I've written two books and I'm working on my third and feel very lucky to be able to write. Fiction full-time it's just totally what I love and yeah, yeah it's great.
0: So how old were you when you started writing or when you became serious about being a published author?
2: Well I was an English major in college and I didn't do a ton of creative writing in college. I I, like probably senior year started to be more interested in creative writing um, but at that point it was too late to change my concentration from just like regular English to creative writing. So after I graduated, I started writing a bit more, um, just like some freelance articles here and there. What really got me into creative writing, and this is like probably not a typical author answer, but was like the passion that I had to start writing my debut novel, um, Tell Me Lies, which I don't know if you guys have read, but that book is a much more personal book to me than Too Good to Be True. It just, it, it stemmed from like, you know, a lot of like emotional truths and like stuff that I've been through in my life, in my, especially in college in my 20s. Um, and I was just really pulled to tell this story. Um, and it was like the first big piece of creative writing that I, that I'd really ever written um, fiction, definitely. And it's had many different drafts to it but that's that's kind of what got me started was just this passion um to tell that story and then after you know after that after tell me lies it was kind of like can I do this again is this gonna is this seriously like something I can do as my real job like can I write another book and so that was definitely in in that way it was much more challenging to write too good to be true because it was like innate inspiration there from the get-go um and I did I you know I kind of like in a way I felt like what am I doing like I don't even know what I'm doing like I don't even remember writing parts of the first book I was like I like blacked (laughs) out and wrote it not like on alcohol but on like whatever like emotion um yeah but I mean luckily like I have I've been able to make it work and we absolutely
1: love your novels too good to be true is by far one of my favorite books so far recently and uh, Madison and I are really big thriller junkies we love reading thriller drama books can you tell us a little bit about what in the thriller genre you enjoy writing the most you know like what drew you to that genre
2: yeah totally I mean I, I love reading thrillers too um And so, you know, when I was working on my first book, it's my first book is not as much of a thriller as Too Good to Be True, but there's a little bit of a thriller, like, aspect woven into it, which actually was not there originally. So, like, when I first started writing my debut, it was just, like, a kind of, like, regular fiction, like, and I didn't really envision, like, myself writing a thriller, but then through the editorial process of, of that first book with my editor, she, um, worked with me and we made it more of like a twisty, suspenseful book. And I loved that. I really loved like incorporating that layer of twistiness. When I sat down to write Too Good to Be True, I felt like, there were a few different directions I could have gone in um, because "Tell Me Lies" was sort of like this mashup of genres. I mean, it was like a little bit of like a romance, a little—I mean, not romance, but a little bit of like a toxic romance—and then coming of age, a little bit of a thriller. Um, there were a lot of different genres kind of mixed in, and so I felt like I could have gone in a couple different directions with with book two, but ultimately I had loved writing the thriller part of Tell Me Lies. And so I decided to just try to write a full-blown thriller um, next. Because yeah, like I said, like you guys, I love reading thrillers and that's just kind of like what I love to read. Um, That was, was kind of what I wanted to do. And then I thought of I don't want to give it away by saying it for anyone who hasn't read it, but obviously you guys Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about. Like the big twist in the middle of the book, like the really um, the twist that sort of like flips the story on its head is where I started. Um, I thought of that first before anything else. I was like, okay, well that, like this would be a cool book to write. Like if you, you know, I don't want to say anything more, but that (laughs) is, that was sort of like the Genesis for the book. Yeah, and the rest of absolutely. The Can you tell us a little about the release
1: process and how has the release of Too Good to Be True been different from
2: Tell Me Lies? Very different. I mean, they've both been great, but they've been so different. I mean, largely because of COVID. Um, right. Uh-huh but also like because of where I am in my life now and where I was in my life when I wrote Tell Me Lies, just like different chapters. Um, Too Good to Be True, I, you know, like everyone else I've been, I mean, I guess, you know, COVID is like, is coming to a close now, knock on wood, hopefully, but like everyone else, the past year and a half, I've pretty much been home. And so everything like to do with the release of Too Good to Be True kind of like happened in my living room you know like all of the events were virtual um like everything it was exciting but it was just everything was sort of you know there weren't like any launch parties or like book signings but it was still like incredible to see the enthusiasm one thing that that probably helped the most was book of the month um choosing too Good to Be True as one of their March books. That um, really, I found out about that, I think in like early February, that it was going to be a March pick for Book of the Month. And I, it just was, it was the most amazing thing because I, I feel like Book of the Month is is such incredible marketing and
0: yeah that's how that's how we kind of choose our books
2: is book of the month so too good to be true
0: was our march
2: pick yeah which i i remember i was like obsessively reading like all the comments on the on like the book of the month instagram i was like oh my god who like people because people say who they chose and like i hope people chose this one my book um but yeah, that was so exciting and made the launch that much more amazing, but it was just very different. I mean, with Tell Me Lies, it was my first book. So I was, and it was a, a really personal story to me, like I said. And so I was really nervous about it. It was like the first time. Yeah you know, like I'd ever written anything and it was like personal. And I, I did end up having like this big launch party and invited like tons of people in New York. And it was like this big night out. I, my sister's friend did my makeup, which like, I never have my makeup done. It was just like a mm-hmm. big night out. Um, and that was like, obviously the opposite for yeah. too good to be True. Like I had a great launch event, but it was on zoom. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so just, yeah, very, very, um, I think there's probably nothing like having your first book come out. I think that's right, just yeah. like really just it's all so new and shiny and but this like too ha- too good to be true coming out was so exciting because I feel like it's resonated with like more readers than Tell Me Lies in a lot of ways. It seems to sort of have a wider net. So that's been really cool to see. Like, I think it's just more appealing to readers who are interested in a variety of genres. Well,
0: to play off of how you mentioned that you're kind of just in a different place now in your life with this book, um, how has being a mom contributed to your writing, specifically when writing like the mothering scenes with how Heather is, you know, like a motherly figure to Gus and um, how Libby how Heather kind of like you know strides to be like Libby at the beginning too.
2: That I can't believe I forgot that. Of course, that's like a huge way that the two launches have been different too, because I was not a mom the first time, and this time yeah. I am, <laughs> which like totally changes life. Well, I actually wrote Too Good to Be True before I was a mom, okay. and I wrote it. Um, I wrote it when I was I was engaged at the time. I was planning my wedding, which is part of the reason why I have planning her wedding it was just like that was a a little bit of like a personal thing like a personal inspiration that went into that but I was not a mom when I wrote the first draft of this book it was pretty much like all wrapped up or I had my son um but it's interesting because I've gotten that I've gotten like a question a lot from other moms that have been like you know that that scene with Gus where he where he drowns is like they're like how did you write that like that's so unbearable to read yeah. and i i really think that if i had i don't know if i could have written that scene now i think it might have been too too emotional too yeah. much um as a mom to write that so i think that that you know i don't know but i you know i was actually not a mom really when i wrote this book so i don't know like how that'll change going forward
1: yeah. Yeah. For Too Good To Be True, we have the three different perspectives going on. Was it difficult to write from the three perspectives and switching back and forth between the time periods?
2: It was. It got a little confusing at point. On the one hand, I, I love writing multi POVs because it kind of makes like each writing session different. You know, like one day you're in Heather's perspective, one day you're in Burke's, one day you're in Skye's. It kind of like keeps me on my toes. But at the same time, it was difficult because they're like, anyone who's read this book knows there are a lot of, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of different timelines, you know, there's just a lot to keep track of. Um, and so that made it challenging. I remember at one point I had to write this whole, I was in like the editing phase and my, my editor was like, you know, you need to figure out like how old everyone is and like where they are in life because like I'm confused and I wrote this like whole chart out of people's ages and like birthdays and like what was happening, what year, and it was like this huge, you know, like multi-page outline of of basically like what was going on in the book, which like helped organize my thoughts a little bit, but it was a challenge, definitely. I, I remember at points when I was working on it being like, this book is getting like so confusing. (laughs) Like, is it even gonna make sense? Like, does it even make sense to me? I don't know. Um, but that's what amazing editors are for. So yeah. yeah well, much. you did
0: a great job because I didn't, I mean, at first when I started reading, I was like, oh God, I'm not going to be able to keep up with all this. But honestly, I wasn't really confused at all. So yeah. So you did a great
1: great. Yeah. I actually did the audiobook for this one because I had a super long road trip ahead of me. So I did the audiobook and I loved hearing the three different voices, you know, each chapter it would pop in and it was somebody new. So that was something that I really enjoyed enjoyed. Uh, Did you have a a specific perspective that you connected with the most or that you found was the easiest to write?
2: Well, probably Sky. I mean, like if I had to pick one um, because just because out of the three, like we are kind of like the most similar or where I was in my life when I wrote that character. I was 29 when I wrote the book. She's twenty nine, she's planning her wedding. I was planning a wedding. You know, in, in that way, like I would I would have to say Sky. I don't necessarily know that she was the easiest to write. For me, like getting into getting into a character's head that's actually like different from me can be easier sometimes because it's where I can be a little bit more creative. Yeah. And I it's like I don't have to get everything exactly right, you know, because it's like cause I don't know what it's like to be a forty-six year old man like Burke. Or right. a woman like Heather, who's you know been married for two decades and has three kids and has like gone through what she's gone through, and so yeah, I mean, I would say I related most to Sky, but the easiest—I don't know which one was easiest. I mean, that's a good question. I think they all had like parts that were easier to write and, and parts that were a little more challenging. I, I found myself falling into Burke's voice pretty naturally. I enjoy writing from the lens of a man I don't know why but it's something I did in my first book too yeah it's something I did in tell me lies too. like half the book takes place from the perspective of a male character and I just I don't know and even in my third book which I just am like wrapping up now it originally didn't have a a male POV and my editor was like okay but like where's the male perspective like you need that in this book too and I'm like really do I really need that again like Mm -hmm. I've had that in both in like my first two books and I'm, I'm sort of like, is it getting old? But there's something so like strong about Burke's voice when he's like writing his his um, diary entries and just so like kind of sharp that I was it was fun to drop into that voice. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, the Langs Valley setting, I want to talk about it for a minute. How, why did you choose like the small kind of run downtown for the center of Heather? in Burke's story and um, like take us through the writing process or kind of like how you created Langs Valley and where the inspiration comes from?
2: That's a great question. I don't, that's like one that I haven't really gotten. Um, (laughs) Well, I knew that I, you know, I knew that I wanted a point of tension in like Heather's character to be money. And I wanted her to like come from really nothing and, and kind of like idolize Libby and Libby's wealth especially and I wanted that to be like a driving force for Heather you know I, I knew that I wanted her to kind of come from this run downtown where she like doesn't really have a chance and Burke too and and I thought like that would sort of help humanize her a little bit that and also what she's been through with with Gus but just to show that you know she kind of had a tough go of it from the beginning and it's not like she was you know, she wasn't handed anything the way that, like, Sky and Libby were handed. Um, yeah, she, she like, kind of, like, had to learn to grow up pretty quickly yeah. in Langs Valley, yeah. And she had to be scrappy and resourceful um, in a way that a lot of the other characters didn't. And, yeah, so I just, I wanted to create this town. I mean, there are, there are parts of, like, upstate New York and Vermont, you know, I, I was sort of inspired by. And, like, I've grown up... My whole life going up to Vermont and I've kind of seen, you know, what some of the towns up there are like. And, and I kind of, I wanted it to be like in the mountains when I was doing research on drugs in the eighties and, and like crack and what all that looked like. And like, I, I kind of researched a little bit how that was prevalent in upstate New York, which, which also influenced my decision to set Langs Valley there.
0: Yeah. Um, we see grief, play, um, I feel like a big theme in this book because we have like Heather grieving Gus and Skye grieving her mom and ultimately her and Burke's relationship and even Burke grieving um, his kind of loss of character and career. So what do you think is the biggest lesson or kind of takeaway from the book regarding like grief?
2: That's a great question. I mean, I haven't been through that kind of grief. Yeah, I'm lucky to say that I haven't been through that, like what Sky's been through, or right, or or Heather with Gus. But I, I have like people close, like friends close to me that have, and it's just something that like kind of interests me to write about and to think about. Um, I think, you know, in terms of a lesson, I, I don't know because I don't really have the answer, but. Ultimately, like, you know, for these characters, you can either let grief define you or you can find a way to move past it.
0: Yeah. Like, for me, it was, it was kind of, you know, you can, you all, you're never going to forget that that happened. Like, it's always a part of you. It gets better, maybe, and it's easier to deal with, but, you know, you're always going to have kind of something from that grief, like Sky with her OCD and, um, Heather, with kind of like her vengeance for Libby and creating the big plan, or
2: right, exactly. And and Heather is someone who you know she's she's just unable to let go of of her grief and her anger, and that ends up being so detrimental to her and her relation, her marriage, and her whole mm-hmm. life. And so I think that's just just finding a way to move past grief and not not let it suck you down. And, and yeah, yeah. Um, We thoroughly enjoyed reading
1: Too Good To Be True. And to kind of wrap up our discussion on you and your publishings, what is the most rewarding part of being a published author?
2: Uh, Well, I would have to say, honestly, connecting with readers and hearing from readers who love my books. It really never gets old. And I get, you know, whenever I get like message an email or a DM, like whatever it is, like hearing from a reader who just genuinely connected with one of my books and and who felt changed by it. Um, that is the most rewarding thing for me, for sure.
1: I love that. Um, and of course, our podcast name is Books, Bites and Booze. So
2: do you have a favorite food or drink recipe that you would like to share with our listeners? <laughs> well, it's funny, because when you when you mentioned that in the beginning, I wasn't really thinking of like a favorite. I am like, A terrible cook but my like I really am my husband does all the cooking especially now that we have a baby um like because I'm putting him to bed every night and like he cooks dinner but cocktails I can do so um, what I was (laughs) what I was thinking of when you when you mentioned the recipe was um when I had my launch party for for my first book for tell me lies there was a Tell Me Lies specialty cocktail at the party, and it's honestly so good that I still make it, like, regularly, <laughs> and so, like, it's just so good, so I'll tell you guys what's in it. It's it's kind of, like, equal parts tequila, campari, and grapefruit juice, mm. and then a splash of club soda or uh. so water.
0: My gosh, we're gonna have to make that, Alexis. Yeah, I love
2: <laughs> grapefruit; it's really good. And like the Campari, I love Campari, and like the Campari really makes it like Yum. even better. And like a squeeze of lime on top—that is so cool
0: to have a Tell Me Lies cocktail. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's really good. I
2: highly recommend.
0: Okay, so um, last question to kind of wrap us up. What can you tell us about your third
2: book and when can we expect a release? Yes. So I, I don't have like, I don't really know how much I'm allowed to say about it at this point. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I can give you like the full synopsis. But what I can say about it is that, you know, it's like a similar vibe to my other t- two books. And this, a theme in this one is about like kind of haunted love and like past love and the one that got away. Um, Ooh. And it's a little like Tell Me Lies and Too Good to Be True. It's, I would say it's not as much of a thriller as Too Good to Be True, but it's more of a thriller than Tell Me Lies, but it definitely has like that suspense vibe to it. Yeah. Okay. Yay. I'm so excited. And, yeah, I need to like figure out kind of when I can start talking about it and like give the full synopsis but it should be out we don't have a release date yet but i'm told that it's probably going to be out next summer like next june or july fingers crossed okay awesome
1: yay we will keep an eye out for it maybe it'll be our june july pick for then yeah, oh, love
0: that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Carla, for taking the time to come on. We really enjoyed it, and um, yeah, we're definitely going to be looking for your new book.
2: Yes, thank you so so much. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you so much, and and yeah, this was really fun. So,
0: that is about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Before we go, we do want to introduce our next book. We're reading Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I am so freaking excited. I cannot wait to start this book.
1: Me too. I've seen so much stuff about it. Like all the other bookstagrams have been posting about it. Lots of other podcasts that we follow and reading it. It just looks amazing.
0: And it's getting like the best reviews. So I'm very, very curious. I cannot wait to start reading it. Um, but yeah, read us a little description.
1: Yeah, if you haven't heard about it yet. The quick take on Book of the Month says this rollicking power keg of a novel follows the infamous Riva siblings over the course of a one life changing night. It's the day of Nina Riva's annual end of summer party, and anticipation is at a fever pitch. Everyone wants to be around the famous Rebas: Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel, brothers Jay and Hud, one a championship surfer, the other a renowned photographer, and their adored baby sister Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the offspring of the legendary singer Mick Riva. The only person not looking forward to the party of the year is Nina herself, who never wanted to be the center of attention, who has also just been very publicly abandoned by her pro tennis player husband. Oh, and maybe Hud, because it's long past time for him to confess to something, confess something to the brother from whom he's inseparable since birth. Jay, on the other hand, is counting the minutes until nightfall when the girl he can't stop thinking about promised she'll be there. And Kit has a couple secrets of her own, including a guest she invited without consulting one. By midnight, the party will be out of control. By morning, the Reva mansion will have gone up in flames. But before that spark in the early hours before dawn, the alcohol will flow, the music will play, and the loves and secrets that shape this family's generations will all come bubbling to the surface.
0: Oh, I just think that yeah. sound so good. <laughs> And I i'm wait. so freaking excited i'm like chomping on an oatmeal cookie right now so i apologize
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're fine uh, but i am so excited to read this and we'll be back in just a couple of weeks with part one of malibu rising and of course we'll post on our stories and in the instagram to let you guys know how far to read into it and what to expect for the first podcast episode for it
0: yeah, and don't forget to enter the giveaway happening over on our Instagram. It's at Books, bites Booze. And for drink recipes, um, interviews, and our dinner recipes, you can check out our blog. It's com.
1: Yes, and thank you so, so much to Carola for joining us on the podcast. It was so much fun having her, and thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.